You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's Bible reading is from Luke 12:13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks a lot, Isaac. Well, uh, today's text is titled The Rich Fool. And I've got to say that at the start, whilst I feel uh, very honoured uh, to preach, the fact that Luke thought I was the perfect person uh, to preach on the topic of being a fool didn't exactly give me a huge shot of encouragement if I'm being honest at the front. So thanks to Pastor Luke for that. Well, there can be no denying that we live in a world that is largely fixated on money. Our news and our world is just dominated by topics such as rising interest rates, the cost of living, inflation, but also how to get rich schemes, and also the latest lotto winners get held up there uh, in the news articles. So much of our time is spent making money, spending money, planning how to make more money, planning how to spend the planned money, and then thinking and dreaming about how to get even more money and what we would spend that money on. So, so much of our time revolves around money, money, money. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we just rich fools or are we rich towards God? Are we rich fools or are we rich towards God? See, while there's new tech, there's new currencies, there's a raft of new things, in some ways, things haven't changed since when Jesus walked this world. Our hearts are still the same. We still crave what other people have. We still look with envy uh, at what they have and long for that. And perhaps most especially when we put our trust in our possessions and our money and not necessarily in God. And this topic of being a rich fool is a weighty topic. It deals with our hearts, with our money and our eternity. So let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. And we pray for your spirit to be here with us this morning. We thank you that, God, you are alive and at work. May your spirit come and work and open our hearts and minds that we might know you afresh this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in regards to money and possessions, inheritance is one of those things that can be both a blessing and a curse. It can be a blessing, can't it? I mean, you think about uh, a father that passes away and he leaves his whole estate to his kids. And so they inherit this money that they can pay off their mortgage. 
They can put their kids through a top school. Maybe they can even buy a holiday house. What a blessing that inheritance can be. But sadly, too often, inheritance is actually the cause of family fights and family divisions. I know this is uh, true for myself. Uh, there's been times where inheritance has uh, come about through a family member, family member passing away. And it's been truly sad to see fa- ex- members of my extended family argue over how much they should have got and bitter, uh, bicker over that. And eventually it gets to the point where these extended family members no longer talk to each other, all because of the money they thought they were entitled to get. And that arguing over money, that desperation for money, that craving for money, that's what we see in today's text. In today's text, there's two brothers. There's the, old, the younger brother and the older brother. And the older brother, he's got all the money. So his dad's passed away and he's got all this money and all the possessions. And the younger brother, he's the main person in our text, he comes along and he says uh, to Jesus to sort out this inheritance. But before we get to what the man says, it's important to get the full picture in which Jesus asks it. See, Jesus is at a point uh, in his life where he's getting more and more popular. Now, thousands of people are coming. They're swarming to Jesus. If I was at youth group, I might say something like he's trending or he's going viral. You know, that sort of thing for the youths here today. People are coming from all over the place to hear Jesus talk. The people are talking about how Jesus, he's the man that can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He can control the winds. They've even seen him walk on water. That's who Jesus is. And so the people are talking. And they're saying, come, come, bring your sick people, your sick relatives. This Jesus can do anything. And Jesus, he's not just teaching nice little concepts or ideas. He's not just saying like, you know, be nice to each other, live a good life. He's not teaching anything like that. He's teaching about a whole other world. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. He's talking about heaven and hell, that they're real places. Jesus is talking about eternity. And he's teaching them that he's the promised Messiah, the Saviour, that whoever acknowledges Jesus before men, Jesus himself will acknowledge before the angels of God. That's what he's saying earlier on in Luke chapter 12. So there's thousands that are listening to Jesus at this point. Thousands that are like reflecting on his words. They're absorbing it. They're letting it transform their lives. There's so much anticipation and excitement, all except for one person. And that is the someone that we find at the start of verse 13, the younger brother. So I'll read verses 13 and 14 for us. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So in the midst of Jesus teaching about heaven and hell, this someone is like, yeah, teacher, that's all good. That's all, that's all, that's all nice. But what I really need is the money of my older brother. He's keeping it for himself. I just need that money. And Jesus is not impressed with his interruption. He says, man, who made me a, ju- who made me a judge or arbitrator of, over you? In Jesus' tone, he's not happy. He says, man, who made me a judge? Now the guy could have asked Jesus like a question. He could have clarified a point about Jesus' teaching, but he doesn't engage at all in what Jesus is teaching. He just wants Jesus to sort out the inheritance. And so what's the guy in the text really doing? 
He's really just using Jesus for his own personal earthly gain. He's simply trying to use Jesus to get the money he thinks he's owed. It's all about the money for this guy. He doesn't care what Jesus is saying about heaven and hell. He doesn't care that Jesus is teaching about spiritual realities. All he cares about is getting the money he thinks he's owed. And whilst it's easy to criticise this guy and to think, wow, how shallow, if we're truly honest, I think we can all use God to try and get what we want. Sometimes we might pray, Lord, if I could just get into that course at uni, then I'll be all good. Then I'll follow you. Then I'll be able to uh, spend my time reading your word. Lord, if I could just get into that leadership stream at work, it would lead to a new position. Then I'd be all good. Lord, if we could just get that house that went for, that went up for sale down the street, that'd be amazing. Now those prayers aren't wrong, but the key issue for the man in the text And the key issue for us in this is priorities. Is your priority when you talk to God, your possessions, your money, is that what comes to mind? Is that what you spend your time daydreaming about? See, I think in our worst moments, we're all just like this man in the text. I know this is true for me. I'll read the Bible in the morning and pray. And perhaps I'll be reading something about how the Israelites spend 40 years in the wilderness and they struggle and God feeds them day by day. And I read about their struggles and I, you know, finish that. And then I start thinking and then I'm like, oh, if I get a promotion at work, I'm, I might get this much. And then I'm on to realestate.com and I'm looking what size property I could buy. That's just after, I, just after how I've read about the Israelites suffered for such a long time. It's ridiculous. See, often my priority is not God. And God's glory, it's all about my life and my glory. See, what's underlying these wrongly ordered priorities is ultimately this belief that our identity, who we are, is found in our possessions. In what we have, that's what makes us who we are. And that's the problem. So, of course, Jesus, when he's speaking uh, to this man, he knows exactly where the guy's at. He knows how his heart is craving the money. And even if Jesus had sorted out the inheritance for this guy, you think about that, it wasn't going to help the guy at all, was it? And similarly, Jesus knows where each of us are at. It might not always feel that way, but it's true. Before we pray, Jesus knows what we're going to pray because he knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts before we even think them. And it's with this knowledge that Jesus takes the opportunity to give a a lesson to the man. He says this in verse 15. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. The NIV has this even sharper. The NIV has watch out, it says, that we should watch out and be on guard against all covetousness. Jesus is giving this man and indeed us a really strong, strong warning that we're to watch out against covetousness, against greed. Of course, craving something that someone else has, it's not something that like you learn as an adult or even a teenager. But even like babies and toddlers, they're always wanting the toy that the other person has. I know for me, I was, uh, it was about two weeks ago and I was at home, uh, vacuuming and I was holding my youngest Annabelle. 
We were kind of vacuuming. We weren't making a lot of progress, but I was trying to do some vacuuming. And my son sees the vacuuming and he's like, oh, I want to do some vacuuming. Give me the vacuum cleaner. I'm like, all right, you can have the vacuum cleaner. Here you go. So I give him the vacuum cleaner. And just after I've given him the vacuum cleaner, he turns it on, he starts going, Annabelle, who's about one and a half years old, throws this huge tantrum. She really, really needed that vacuum cleaner. And it was ridiculous. I mean, I'm kind of hoping that in 10, 20 years, there's still the same level of enthusiasm for vacuuming. But it's not likely, I know. And see, although that story is about kids and how our hearts can crave what others have, how many of us do exactly the same thing as adults? Might be bigger things, bigger toys, but we do the same things. I know there's this one time in our household where covetousness went rife through Amy and I. It was um, a, a little while ago. And Amy and I have uh, three kids and we're actually going to be blessed with another baby in April this year. And with the larger family, we thought, ah, it would be most ideal to have, you know, the large, the large family car of choice, the classic, the Kia Carnival. Can't say it was the, 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 the dream car of my teenage years. It was more the yellow Lamborghini is what I was shooting for. But I know Amy, Amy really wanted it. And she looks after the kids full time, does a great job. And you can see the practicality of the Kia Carnival. It's a great car. It's a bit of a stretch financially, but we're like, you know what? This is a good move. Let's get the care carnival. So we go to care. We're like, all right, let's put our name down on the list. Let's get one of these cars. And so we wait and we wait, we wait. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? Where's this car? Call them up. And they're like, oh, there's an issue with uh, the microchips from South Korea. Microchips from South Korea. All right. So we wait a little bit longer, wait a little bit longer. Call them up again. I'm like, where's the car, guys? And they're like, oh, it's just, it's COVID lag. You know, it's 2022. Everything just goes slower because of COVID still. We wait a bit longer, wait a bit longer, call them up again. And I, then that finally comes out that they needed a part from Ukraine, a particular part from Ukraine to make these petrol Kia carnivals. And that part wasn't getting manufactured because of the war. And so our Kia carnival was not coming at all. And we've been waiting over a year at this point. We were thoroughly sick of it. Amy was thoroughly sick of like shimmying the three kids into this smaller car. And to be honest, as the husband, you kind of want to be like the saviour of the household. And so I'm like calling them up, doing everything I can, arguing, you know, get me the car, we need the car. But alas, I cannot get her dreams, which was very frustrating for me. So then one day, Amy's at this uh, playgroup and along, along drives a brand new... Kia Carnival. Uh, and Amy's like, oh, it looked good. It looked good. And the lady gets out of the car and she's like, yeah, it's pretty nice, isn't it? And then she says this, she said, yeah, I took one for a test drive like two weeks ago and I loved it. So then my husband got me one. And Amy's like, two weeks? Two weeks? We've been waiting like 52 weeks, more than that. Oh, my wife and I, we were both like riddled with rage and envy. I mean, we couldn't wrap our heads around how we couldn't get one for a year, but they got one within two weeks. It didn't seem fair. Ah, being frustrated with Kia was, I think, kind of a little bit reasonable, but the sin that had overtaken our hearts was thoroughly no good. I wonder if you ever had a moment like that where you've waited for a long time and then suddenly someone else gets it with just so much ease. 
And then they, they either shove it in your face or they kind of drive it right in front of you so that you see it right there and then. I mean, this is why Jesus says to be on guard. He says to watch out. Covetousness, craving something that someone else has. It's like a disease to our soul that grows and grows and grows and eventually it crushes us. That's why we have to be on guard to watch out. I know my heart uh, many times, every single day, is tempted with wanting what other people have. It's just relentless almost. You know, and as I thought about what Jesus said about life not consisting in the abundance of possessions, I thought, what possession is most precious to me? What's most, what possession is most precious to you? For many of us, I reckon it's the thing that's always in our pockets, in our, in our handbags. We can't leave home without it. It's our phones. We take them everywhere. I mean, they're a good tool, but is it what we cling to every day? I mean, you think about phone battery uh, devices. That's a huge industry these days, all because people can't go a day without their phone. They can't go an hour without their phone. I know this is especially true for the youth and the young adults. Their phones go everywhere. And then they've got to have a, have a fully uh, charged backup device as well. And the question is, I mean, what would you say if, as part of today's service, we encourage you after the sermon, maybe bring your phones up. And Luke's got a hammer out there. He's going to bring it up the front. We're going to put your phones up here. We're just going to smash them. Smash them into a thousand pieces. How would that make you feel? And see how that makes you feel? That reveals how much of a hold your phone has over you. You do not exist within your possessions is somewhat more of a literal translation of that verse 15. And that is perhaps what we need to be reminded of, that we do not exist within our possessions, within our phones, within our cars, within our houses. Truly we live, we exist, we flourish really when we encounter the living God. Now despite Jesus pointing this truth out, he's given the lesson to this man in the text. He knows his heart's still wanting the money. So Jesus kind of lowers it down a little bit more and he tells him this parable, a story. And it goes like this, verses 16 to 20. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said this, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Well, I'm not sure that there could be a more terrible and more frightening fate than for God himself to call you a fool. I mean, could you imagine that? It would be absolutely horrible. So why is this man called a fool in the parable? I mean, there would have been people listening to Jesus at the time, and maybe some of you, as you read it through, you think, wow, this guy is wise. He's shrewd. You think about what he's done. I mean, he had excess. He had more than he needed. And he was like, well, what should I do with it? 
I'll rip down my barn, I'll build bigger barns and that'll be great. I'll store it all the way, then I can tell, tell myself to take it easy. I mean, isn't this just good planning? It's what you should do, isn't it? I mean, sometimes they call this looking after your financial well-being these days. I mean, I read this on one of the bank's websites and it made me think it was the same kind of philosophy. It says this, ready? Being on top of your finances gives you the power to break free from debt, treat yourself to something special and look forward to a future where your savings offer a protective umbrella on rainy days. We've got the same philosophies, the same concepts, the same strategies as the man in this parable. We do it with banking. We do it with superannuation. You make some extra contributions so that you'll be able to enjoy your retirement when you get to that. Or to use the verse, to use the language of verse 19, so that you'll be able to relax, so that you'll be able to eat, drink and be merry. But we also love to do it practically, don't we? I mean, as much as that Mari Kondi's only keep things that spark joy concept was a bestseller, we love to store things away. I mean, our garages are full. My garage is full, I know that. Our butler's pantries are stocked up. Or what about storage lockers? There are storage locker facilities all over Australia. You don't have to drive far and you see a storage facility. And see, there's so many of those storage lockers these days, they make TV shows about them, about how people fill them up, then they forget about them, then someone else buys the storage locker and they see what treasures are in the storage locker. I mean, we're totally obsessed with storage. We love it. I mean, I think if you want the clearest case that Australians are very much prone to buying something in a panic and storing it away, you just have to look a couple of years back. You know what it was a couple of years back? They called it the second pandemic, well, some people did. It was the great toilet paper rush of 2020. We love to rush out, store the toilet, get the toilet paper. Once we got it home, whew, relax, Paul. It's all good. We love to buy things. And once, we're sto- once it's stored away, then we relax. Now, planning is good. It's a good thing to plan. And it's a God-honoring thing to plan. But if it's misplaced, it can end in tragedy. And surely, this man in the parable, isn't he just a wise planner? Why is he a fool? Why does God call him a fool? I think it's good to look closely at the text to understand what Jesus is saying. And if you look at verses 17 and 18, you'll see in there that four times he says, my. He says, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods. And in fact, in the Greek, it says it eight times. It's got eight references to my. So Jesus, in telling this parable, is trying to show how absolutely self-obsessed this man is. It's all me, me, me. But then also, if you go a little bit further back in the text, you look at verse 16. How does verse 16 start? It says, the land of the rich man produced plentifully. See, it doesn't start with saying that the man laboured really hard and that he worked long, long hours for many years. It says that the land of the rich man produced plentifully. So and the question is, who owned the land? Who made the land? God made the land. So God was the one that gave him the blessing. God was the one that gave him the crops. But alas, there's no, there's no acknowledgement at all of God's provision for him. It's just my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods. There's no using the money in a way that honours God, caring for the poor, the widows, 
maybe giving some to his neighbors, sharing it around. There's none of that. Instead, what does the guy do? He rips down his barn, he builds bigger barns, fills them up, and it's all for himself. But this man, he's not just a fool because he hasn't used his money selflessly. God exclaims to him in verse 20 that this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? See, he's taking comfort in his possessions, in his riches, in his barns, but this night God says that he will die and then whose will they be? And see, the bottom line for us and for this man is that Jesus is saying that none of us know really the time that we will die. And a fool is a person who thinks that they can push death out, that they can avoid it altogether. A fool is someone who is deceived or tricked. And this man here, he was deceived into trusting in his things, in his crops, in his full barns, in his possessions, and he never even got to start using them at all. So God calls him a fool. Then Jesus concludes his section. He finishes the parable, calling the man a fool. And he kind of turns back to the man who asked the original question about the inheritance. And he says, so, in verse 21, he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And at this man, I feel like at this point, the man that originally asked the question about inheritance, I feel like he's probably probably tried to quietly just you know, shirk away, just take a seat maybe, you know, in the, in the family room out there. And he's just trying to hide himself because at this point, he's not feeling very good. And maybe there's other people that are rich there and they're also feeling rather uncomfortable. And so the question is, how do we avoid being a rich fool? And, how, and what does it mean when it says rich towards God? Is it through doing things such as caring for the poor, reading our Bibles? Maybe we've got to serve at church, go to a a Bible study group. Is that what it means to be a Christian, that we just tick all these boxes, tick, 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 and then we get to be rich towards God? Is that what it's all about? I think if that's what we think it's all about, then we're like the man in the text. We've actually completely missed the point. Or rather, it's not just missing the point, but it's, it's missing who Jesus really is. Because do you remember what Jesus said to the man right at the start when, Jesus, when the man asked about the inheritance? Jesus' reply is in some ways kind of strange. Jesus says in verse 14, Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And that, that is a strange statement for Jesus to make. I mean, at other points in the Gospels, Jesus talks about how he came to judge the living and the dead, that he is the judge. And that he talks about how the Son of Man has authority on he- in heaven and on earth. So Jesus is the judge. He tells us that lots of times. But then in this verse 14, he says, who made me a judge over you? I mean, it's confusing, isn't it? Is he the judge or is he not the judge? And see, the truth is that the man in the story couldn't see Jesus for who he really is. Jesus didn't come to sort out little inheritance issues. He didn't come to like sort out family matters. He didn't come to teach a bunch of like nice ideas and concepts for living. Jesus came from the kingdom of heaven 
to save people to an inheritance of eternal life with him. He wasn't appointed to deal with the minor little things, though they are important. Jesus came from the other realm, from the heavenly realm, and he broke through. He like crossed over. He entered into the world that he created. Jesus was born to a virgin. He healed people. He performed miracles. He did all these things as signs for people to show who he really is. But still, people, this someone, didn't recognize him. Jesus came to judge and Jesus came to save. Jesus knew that we couldn't save ourselves no matter how hard we try. No matter how hard we care for the poor, no matter how much we give to church, no matter how hard we try, Jesus knew that we couldn't save ourselves. And that's the whole reason why he came. See, how do we get rich towards God? It's through Jesus. Jesus is the way that we get rich towards God. 2 Corinthians 8 9 explains this. It says this, right? Though he was rich, Jesus Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You might say, by his poverty we become rich? How does that work? 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains this even further. He says, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, which is our only means of knowing God, treasuring God, being rich towards God. It's not our good deeds or our generosity. It's through Jesus. He is the rich one and he comes to us. And through his death, he gives us the offer of eternal life. And when we respond to Jesus, when we confess our sin, our poverty, we become rich towards God. He became poor so that we might become rich towards God. Can you see that's why Jesus came? That's why he's there in the text. The younger brother, the someone in the text, as he's referred to, he was standing in the physical presence of the living God, Jesus Christ. The creator of all things and all people is standing right there. The God that put the stars in the sky is standing right there. The God who pursued his people all through the Old Testament, poured out grace and provided for them time after time after time. He's done it all through the Old Testament. Finally, he breaks in and he's standing in front of this younger brother and he completely misses it. Completely misses who Jesus is. It's a tragedy. He asked Jesus, what about the money my brother owes me? Who cares about your money? The God of the universe is standing in front of you. Open your eyes. Open your heart to see Jesus for who he really is. This guy needs to get out of his little bubble that he's stuck in and realize that there's a God who loves him that crossed over from heaven and came to die to save you from the pits of hell. See, who cares about your earthly inheritance? 1 Peter 1.4 says that Jesus came to give us an inheritance that is imperishable, 
that is undefiled, that is unfading and is kept for us in heaven. I mean, that's the truth that changes your heart when you meditate on that. It is Jesus' death on the cross that is everything. So it's not that the man shouldn't be fussed about money at all. It's just so much more than that. It's this inward change that needs to happen. His heart is far, far from God. And that is the real problem. It's his heart that is the problem. Well, texts like this always make me kind of question where I am at. And it's easy to say the right things and to appear the the right way, to show up at church, to be friendly. But really, it's our hearts that is what God wants. And so we need to ask, where is our heart at? Are you rich towards God? You might ask, how do I know for sure if I'm rich towards God? I certainly wanted to know. I think one of the best ways that we can know for sure is through uh, Charles Spurgeon's comment. He said this, right? The one way you can know that Jesus Christ is precious to you is because nothing else is. The one way you know Jesus Christ is precious to you is because nothing else is. See, nothing else in our lives should compare to Jesus Christ. He is the God that came to save us, to redeem us, to lay his life down for us on the cross. Christ is everything. Is this what your heart says or is it clinging to things of this world? Inward heart change is where it starts. It doesn't start with good works, trying to do the right thing, giving some money to this charity or that. That's not going to get you anywhere. Jesus came to be our lives, to save us. He didn't come just to like slot into our lives, to be a little part of our lives. He came to like set our lives on fire, to be the rock that we would depend upon, to be the anchor through any storm. He should be far supreme above everything else in our lives. See, following Jesus means that you no longer cling to your barns or your fully stocked garage or your, you know, well laid out retirement plans, your iPhones, your bank accounts. You cling to Jesus. That's what you cling to. He is your provider and your rock. And see, when you've got this good news front of mind and you live that out day by day, when things come up, it transforms the way that you live. You know, if I don't get that new car, well, it's okay. I don't really care. Because you know what? Jesus will provide for me what I need. And Jesus is far better. He's provided salvation for me already. And if I don't get that promotion at work, if I don't get into the leadership stream, then you know what? This life, it's just temporary. Soon enough, I will be with Jesus in heaven for eternity. And if we miss out on a house at at an auction next Saturday? Well, you know what? It's okay because Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. You can see how the Apostle Paul, he got to the point of saying this, Philippians 3 verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ. It starts and it ends with Jesus Christ. He is God who laid his life down for us. Let's pray to him now. Lord God, we are just in awe that you would look upon us with such compassion and mercy that you would enter in to the world that you created, that you came and were born and grew up and suffered. Even though you had done nothing wrong, you took upon yourself our sin and paid the price. We are just so thankful and in awe of who you are. We pray that you would reign supreme in our hearts and in our minds and in our wills, that you would help us to treasure you more than anything else in this world, that you would help us to glorify you with every word and every thought. We pray that you would help us to be a blessing to those around us, that we wouldn't cling to our money or our possessions or our houses or our cars, but we would use these for your kingdom's sake. And we pray that in doing so, that people would be drawn to you, Jesus Christ, the Saviour of the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.